In the rapidly changing world, healthcare needs are constantly evolving and clinicians need to find new ways to deliver care. And often the best way to do that is by looking back. Without Marie Curie, there would be no pioneering improvements to medical imaging today. If Edward Jenner didn't inoculate a 13-year-old with cowpox, there wouldn't even be a space for Professor Ian Fraser's cervical cancer vaccine. Our clinicians are standing on the shoulders of those who came before them, learning, growing and advancing. Hindsight isn't 2020. It's our future. Now more than ever, technology plays an integral role in the way care is delivered. But even in a pre-COVID world, clinicians have been finding creative technological solutions to improve the way care is delivered. From telehealth to virtual monitoring, devices and machine learning, there is no limit to where technology will take healthcare next. The digitization of hospitals fundamentally changed the day-to-day -day workflows of our frontline clinicians. To ensure Sunshine Coast was as ready as possible, Claire Thomas and the team utilised simulations to explore how clinicians use the system and identify ways it could be improved. I had a great opportunity when we rolled out IMR in our hospital at the beginning of last year to be part of the IMR project team. And part of that came about because I was absolutely terrified of the whole IMR and I needed to have a better understanding of how it worked, so I needed to get some control back. So I got involved with the project team and I went in as the senior medical officer who was a subject matter expert. I learnt a lot. While I was there, I recognised that there were some issues around the training that was being utilised um, that I felt being on the floor was going to impact on our staff and their readiness. And coming from a background where I've been using simulation for a long time from, for an educational tool, and then moving on to use it as a system-based tool looking at how we do our processes within the hospital. I thought simulation had a role. And you can see some good work has come out of the Gold Coast yet again around how we can use simulation from a translational point of view for many different applications within the health service. I thought this was a good strategy to use. And I know some sites prior to bringing in IMR were trying to use simulations, but there was technically some huge issues around it. And there was nothing written down nothing to go on, there was no template that I could use as to how I could do some simulation. But I fortunately had the support of my project lead and the executive to try and make this work. What we wanted to do is look at how IMR was going to impact on those complex patient workflows as they cross departments and that's with the IMR training, it was all very siloed. So you'd be in your paediatric world learning how IMR works in your paediatric world but I had no idea what was going on when my patient was in emergency department, how they moved from emergency up to the ward. And they talked about patient flow, but again, it was just all about where they were in my department. So we really needed to see that whole journey for the patient. And we particularly wanted to look at the critical patient workflows. And as with all system-based simulation, it's all about detecting those latent patient safety threats. And that means the things you don't know about yet, or you don't know how they're going to really impact on that workflow. 
The other thing that was really clear is that staff were very concerned that that computer screen that they were going to work on all the time was going to take away from their care of their patient and that they weren't going to be caring for their patient anymore. We needed to show them that, in fact, well, we hoped to show them that that wasn't going to be the case and that it was actually going to support their care for that patient. We also wanted to know whether our staff were ready for this huge change and they were, you know, the change brings around a huge amount of stress and resistance and part of the simulation was to make them see that perhaps they were doing okay. In a very short period of time, we decided that we we're going to do 15 multimodal simulation activities and we really looked at the high-risk ones. So CAT1 and ones that were very multidisciplinary that crossed many departments. So things like CAT1 caesarean sections that involved theatre, the neonatal code blue team, adult code blue, code stroke, paediatrics code blue, red blanket, so a trauma coming into emergency, the mental health deteriorating patient and the trauma of an unknown patient. And the unknown patient, that was relevant because how do we have a, you know, that, how do we put that into IMR? How do they get configured? Where do they come from? Because, you know, in emergency, they have a chart that's always ready, that's got the UR numbers already on them, and that's the unknown patient. So how do we do that in IMR? So we picked some, you know, the hot topics that everybody was asking questions about. And it was no easy task, obviously, to get this. So we needed a team and we needed a team of experts in simulation, we needed people who knew about IMR, and we needed event planners, because I don't know about you, but herding cats is very difficult. And clinicians on the floor needed to be part of this, and trying to get them all there at the same time for a good period of hours you know, was challenging. So I had some great coordinators for that. The experts in simulation is a key, and people who are not familiar with simulations just can't pick this package up and start doing it you needed to make sure that it had to be safe for the staff members, both psychologically and physically. You needed to make sure it was safe for our patients. These activities were happening in situ, in the wards, exactly where it would, you know, the clinical care is taking place, and that was critical. We needed to know whether the Wi-Fi worked. Was there a black spot somewhere? And the simulation expert should be skilled in providing the pre-brief. This is how it's going to run, and then afterwards, the post-brief, when everybody's relieved now it's all over, but getting their, you know, the feedback and trying to do something with that information. And of course we had to develop a simulation package because there was nothing for IMR simulation that we could find. The IMR support was critical because the IMR is all about integrating clinical care with the system and you needed to have equipment that could produce armbands, label printers, and none of them talked to each other in the training environment. So we had to bring it into the test environment, which is all very complex speak if you're not familiar with the IMR world. But so you needed these experts to make this kind of work happen. They had to integrate the software for us. And of course, for scenario development, it wasn't up to me. I'm a paediatrician. I can't write an adult code blue. I can't, definitely can't write a STEMI case. I learnt what STEMI stood for, which was one... I learnt lots. <laughs> but it had to be inclusive. So we really brought together, you know, some key stakeholders and said to them, what is important to you and how do we make this work for you? And that's how you get that buy-in. That's how you make people want to be there because this was for them, not for 
IMR, it was for them. And we really tried to make sure that we ticked off all those national standards, that we met that criteria as well with the simulation uh, activities. And of course, it has to be fun. Some people here will probably say simulation is terrible, it's very stressful, I don't ever want to be part of it. And yeah, I, I get that. So my job is to actually make the experience fun for people and I find that really important. So yes, this is uh, our neonatal team and what we did here is we actually had a game, we called it Little Path Athletics because we knew that from experience of IMR when it was first rolled out in some other hospitals that pathology collection was a real issue and there was some real errors occurring. So we thought, okay, let's concentrate on that. So we played some games, we put people in teams and we made them compete against each other, which, oh, you know, should we be doing that? Absolutely, if you make it fun and let people cheat. So, that, you know, and in this case, they're all a bit dressed up because it was Melbourne Cup Day, so they got prizes for the best fascinator as well. And they went through the process and then we repeated it. So they did it the first time and nobody knew anything and, oh, my goodness. And then we said, good, this is your time to get that specimen off to the lab technician. And, of course, we included the lab technician because they needed to know what was happening on the ground to see why all these errors were happening, why they were, and so they could give direct feedback. So they were there and they felt really grateful to be included in this activity. So when we ran it again, the team that won didn't win the second time round. They had some, you know, they couldn't get the needle in the vein, poor things. But then the people who came last the first time improved their time by... 150%. So they could see that, well, okay, first time was really difficult. Second time round, wow, that was a breeze. So then they get that confidence that when we're introducing something that's really technically difficult, suddenly becomes easier. And it's as easy as the same as writing it down now. It becomes a skill that they can do. So that was called, that's actually called rapid cycle deliberate practice. And you make it fun, make it competitive, get people involved. It was a lot of work. 15 simulations, as I talked about already, there was over 40 hours of simulation. We actually lost track of what we were doing. There was at least anywhere from 10 to 50 people per scenario, depending on, you know, what scenario it was. At least 180 hours of people, hours. But yes, what, what did we do? Not only did we do the simulation, but we actually took information from those activities in the post-brief. We learnt, had to learn the lessons and we stratified them into our risk register and said, from a patient flow point, is it a mild problem or is it a serious problem? Will that patient flow continue if we, sorry, stop, if we don't make the changes that we need to make changes to our business rules? And we did have some high risk ratings. We had some medium ratings and we had a lot of low ratings. And some of them were just sim artifact, you know, that technical integration was difficult. Some were really serious process design that we needed to change immediately. A lot of them were communication and cultural problems, which was business as usual. That needed to be addressed, and it was a good opportunity to do that. People blamed IMR, but the reality was this was their process that needed to change well before IMR. And so we took those problems, we came up with some strategies, we put those strategies in place, things like updating business reel, putting... Uh, posters around explaining, you know, what needs to happen. And we also did targeted system team practice in certain areas. I mentioned about the patient-centred care and how people were very worried about that. So we took a risk and we asked one of our patient safety reps to be there 
to observe the simulation. I had to explain what simulation was all about. They hadn't really, didn't know anything about it. I had to make sure that they were going to, in their ability to observe and give feedback, make sure that their feedback wasn't going to be harmful to our staff members who are you know, doing their best because there's a good chance that they would go, what the hell are you doing? You know, so I really had to make sure that they were on the same page and that they understood how stressful this was. They felt so grateful, again, to be included in this process. They were listened to and they needed to have their say. It gave total reassurance to our staff members that they were maintaining patient-centred care because we had this rep in the room giving that feedback to them. So it was really rewarding. And the other thing that came from this is that it was so successful in our SKU, which is the university hospital rollout, that they, when we went live for Nambour, they actually put together a dedicated team and were able to do it the second time round, which was fantastic for me. And then, of course, our exec now know that this works and hopefully in future we'll get a chance to do more. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.